we are going to be talking about really uh, the largest publicly known miracle. There are many directions that you can go with this story. You can talk about hospitality. You can talk about God's abilities and powers. You can talk about mercy and compassion. You can talk about uh, public notoriety. There's many things that you can extrapolate from this scripture text here. And I have entitled our sermon today, and I like it, it's 20,000 Needs Above the Sea. So any Herman Melville fans out there will understand 20,000 Needs Above the Sea. So what are your needs? As parents, we tell our children to be careful when making purchases, right? Weigh it out, whether it's a want or it's actually a need. Something uh, that we look Sometimes that we look even in our own lives as adults and we go, oh, no, that thing that's actually a want. No, that's a need. You know, I need that, which is OK. I mean, there there are times that you want something and you feel so bad about it or badly about it that you have to have it. It becomes a need. All right. And this is quite fine. So no one would ever tell you that you want to have your sick relative to be well would be a want. And God doesn't fulfill wants. He just fulfills needs. Right? I can tell you that if my wife became terminally ill, that would be a need in my life for her to be uh, miraculously healed. So we don't really want to get into the minutia of defining what is a want and what is a need. And do we really get to have the things that we want as opposed to the things that we need? So we're, we don't want to delve into that. Like I explained to you, there are many directions you can take with this, this particular sermon uh, or this particular scripture text. As Christians, we're very accustomed to preachers and saints telling us that God will provide for our needs, right? He will. It's a part of our Christian ethos, which is our belief. Ethos means belief. So God is going to provide for your needs is just as well understood as God loves you, right? We just, we just know God is going to provide for our needs. Uh, but if you've been around the earth for a little bit, you know that that doesn't always happen, right? And sometimes it can really rock people's world when something doesn't happen that they felt like should have happened. Today, we're going to look at many things that the Lord spoke about in this particular set of scriptures. We're going to see how the Lord responded in a way that shows tender kindness and mercy and compassion. So that's the path that I'm choosing with this set of scriptures, kindness Mercy, compassion. As I said, you are going to hear this sermon and you're going to say, well, you could look at that a little different and you could talk about this and you could talk about that. And that's good. And I encourage you to explore that. Write it out in your journals. Create for yourself your own study on it in the different things in which this set of scriptures will apply. Because we know that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword and it gets down into dividing the bone and the marrow. It doesn't just happen one way. We know that God can speak to us in many different ways. Many of us need to have God speak to us in different ways than he speaks to this one and that one. Because some of us are very thick-headed and we don't get it the same way others do. Some of us are more sensitive and we get it a lot sooner. So, let's look at this. We do know that God doesn't always do those things that we think should happen. But after all, sometimes it does work out for us. So, like I said, we're not going to be classifying what's a need and a want. We're just going to see how the Lord displayed mercy and compassion in this one of this greatest miracles. And then he just humbly walks away from it. So let's stand for the inspired word of God. 
In John chapter 6, starting in verse 1, going through verse 15, it says, After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or the Sea of Tiberias at this point. A large crowd was following him, because they were watching the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. But Jesus went up on a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now, the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. So... Jesus, after raising his eyes and seeing that there was a large crowd, it had come to him. Oh, sorry. Uh, seeing that there was a large crowd. I'm losing my place. Seeing that there was a large crowd coming to him. And he said to Philip, Whether, uh, where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? But he was saying this only to test Philip because he himself knew what he was intending to do. Peter answered him. Sorry, Philip answered him. 200 denarii won't feed all of these people. We only have just a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fishes. But these will not feed so many people. Jesus said, Have the people recline and eat. There was plenty of grass in this space. So the men reclined, about 5,000 in number. Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed to those who were reclining. Likewise, also the fish, as much as they wanted, And when they had eaten their fill, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftovers, all the pieces, so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves that were left over from those who had eaten. And when the people saw this sign, which he had performed, they said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come And to take him by force, he withdrew himself and went up into the mountain alone. This is the inspired word of God. God. You may be seated. So as I said, you're going to hear things in there, and there are a couple little nuggets that kind of, they jump out to me, and I go, ooh, I wonder what that is. I wonder where that could go. And so, not knowing everything about Scripture, as some of you may already know, uh, I don't know everything about Scripture. And so I enjoy digging in, specifically certain things jump up into my brain and becomes like, uh, like a burr inside my sock. It just keeps gnawing at me until I can uh, efficiently get that, that itch scratched. So this is probably one of the most well-known miracles that Jesus has ever done. This may have even been the first thing you were taught when you were in Sunday school when you were young. Of course, all Scripture needs to have attention paid to it. But every now and then, there's something that jumps out that demands special attention. And there are a few miracles within Jesus' ministry that do just that. These verses describe one of the Lord's most remarkable miracles of all the great works that he did. None was done so publicly as this and before so many witnesses. And of all the miracles related in the Gospels, there, there are a few, but this is one that 
All four Gospels record alike. So as you guys know in reading the Gospels, they talk about some things, and others talk about other things, and there are a few miracles that are talked about in all four Gospels, and this is one of them. We have one thing to learn from this, in this miracle. Well, there's a few, but this, for this lesson's purpose. It's a lesson about Christ's almighty power. We see our Lord feeding 5,000 men with five barley loaves and two fishes. We see clear proof that this miraculous event took place and that 12 baskets of fragments were taken up after everyone was full. So that's a lot. It wasn't just enough. It was more than enough. We see the creative power as it was manifested here. Food was called into existence that did not exist before. In healing the sick or raising the dead, there is something that is amended or restored. There's a person that is sick and then restored to health. Here we see a picture of food coming out of thin air. In feeding so many men with five loaves, something must have been created which before had not existed. It's important to note that the Bible says 5,000 men. We do know that it wasn't only men that followed Jesus here. It was estimated. This is the estimated. This is the low end of the estimated, and this is where I get my 20,000 uh, 20, needs above the sea. There's estimated of 20,000 plus people during this event. It's true. So the Bible only says 5,000 men. We think he only fed 5,000, but he fed a lot more. There was only 5,000 men there. But there were women and children. We know this to be true because who did they get the breads from in the first place? Was it a man? It was a lad. It was a young boy. So it wasn't just men. There were men, women, and children that followed Jesus during his ministry to see these miracles that he's doing. It was a great throng of people. J.C. Ryle said, Such a history as this ought to be specially instructive and encouraging to those who endeavor to do good to souls. It shows us that the Lord Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. He is the one who has the power over the dead hearts. Not only can he mend that which is broken, build up which that is ruined, and heal that which is sick, strengthen that which is weak. He can do even greater things than these. He can call into being that which was not before, and call it out of nothing. He must ne- we must never despair of anyone being saved. So long as there is life, there is hope. We reason and we sense this through, and it may say that some poor sinner is too hardened or too old to be converted. Faith will reply, our master can create as well as renew with a savior who by his spirit can create a new heart, nothing is impossible. When we think about how many people were actually fed here, when you, let me, let me put it to you this way. We say loaves, right? What comes into your head when I say a loaf? Participation is okay. When I say a loaf, what comes into your head? Bread. A loaf of bread, something big. Right? Like this. Like what we have here. That's a loaf. Right? You go to the store, you get the sliced bread. It's like this long. That's a loaf. 
That's not the Greek word here, though. The Greek word is actually a cracker. How many crackers would it take to fill 20,000 people to the point where they're full? This is a lot of crackers. I think my kids take a lot of crackers when we have soup. All four reams of saltine crackers are gone in one meal. And I'm astonished that they can go through so many crackers and not be full. It's like they don't, they don't actually fill you. It's like eating air. Imagine how many crackers it takes to feed 20-some-odd thousand people. That's a lot of crackers. And then have 12 baskets of leftovers. All of this was created from nothing. Just came out of, we'll say, thin air. It just came up from the bottom of the basket. Every time they reached in to grab some to give more people, there's just more and more and more that keeps, keeps filling that basket from the bottom up. And after everybody was full, there was no more to dish out. Then they had to go collect in empty baskets. Contemplate this for a moment. These baskets had to fill to distribute. And then at the point when they were all done and everybody was full... They had to go out and collect with empty baskets that were no longer full. So the Lord allowed these things to stop at just the right time. They collected 12 baskets worth of fragments, crackers, saltines, maybe, maybe not. Maybe something a little better than saltines. This is an amazing miracle, and it was done amongst so many people, so many witnesses. What we have here is that we find in another thing in this miracle is a lesson about the office of ministers. We see that the apostles received the bread from the Lord's hand after he blessed it, and then they distributed it to the multitudes. It was not their hands that made it increase. It was not their hands or their words or their prayers that made it multiply, but their masters. It is the almighty power that provided an unfailing supply it was their work to receive it and then humbly distribute it. Right? Here's a prime example of the work which a true minister of the New Testament. And it's not just ordained ministers. We are all ministering to people in our lives. Right? It's a good example to those who are true ministers of the New Testament and what it is that we are to do with what we have been given. He is... Not a mediator, meaning the minister. He is not the mediator between God and man. He has no power to put away sin or impart grace. His whole business is to receive the bread of life, which the master provides, and then distribute it amongst the souls amongst whom you labor. He cannot make it soul-saving or life-giving. It is not his work to do, for he is not responsible for that. His whole business is to be a faithful distributor of the food which his divine master has provided. So lastly in this miracle, a lesson that we can learn from this is the sufficiency of the gospel and what its needs for mankind. We see that the Lord is supplying for the hunger of a huge multitude around 20,000 plus. It's been estimated between 20 to 25,000. The provisions seemed at first inadequate for this occasion to satisfy so many craving mouths with such miraculous amounts in such a wilderness. I looked up the pictures of where this mountain is that he was on when he fed this many people, and it's very sparse. It's literally bald. It's just like crabgrass. Well, I don't know what you, we call it crabgrass. Theirs is even worse. It's just like 
clumps of hay that come out of the ground. It's dead, scraggly, scruffy stuff. It was not a very pristine picture. It's not something you would want to take a picture and put it on Facebook. It's just not pretty. But you have people who are in the wilderness. There are times in our lives that we are in the wilderness and that we have needs and that the Lord provides for our needs in a place that isn't pristine, that isn't pretty. It's not a good place to be, but the Lord still provides there. There can be no doubt that this was meant to teach Christ's adequacy for the gospel. To supply the necessity of the whole group of people that were there. We can say the whole world, but was the whole world there? There was only about however many. Let's not even put that number. Whoever decided to follow Jesus was there. They're the ones who got the sufficient feeding. Not the people at the bottom of the mountain that were washing their their clothes in the water in the Sea of Galilee. Not the people in the city because they weren't following Jesus. They didn't care to. They knew he was there. Can you imagine looking out your window and seeing a throng of 25,000 people walking, following a man? I think that would raise an eyebrow, right? I think every single one of us would know something is going on there. And many didn't choose to go investigate. Many knew exactly who this man was because for about one year, Jesus was performing miracles in this area. So if you remember, put your thinking caps on. Was that Blue's Clues? Okay, let's just sit down in our chair and think about this. Let's think. In chapter 5, Jesus heals the man at Bethsaida, in the pool of Bethsaida. That was right around the same time as the Passover. Then it says here that the Passover was near in chapter 6. So for about a year, Jesus is healing people in this area. People are gathering around him because they see him healing the sick. So he has a name amongst these people in this area. People were following him. And he was there to save those, let's say, we're going to say feed those, but he's also there to save those, to feed those who wanted to be fed. They would only come and follow him, granted for all kinds of reasons, but they were following him. There can be no doubt of the adequacy of Christ. The weak, the feeble, and the foolish, as it may seem to man, the simple story of the cross is enough for all children of Adam in every part of the globe. The news of Christ's death for sinners and the atonement made by that death is able to meet the hearts and to satisfy the consciences of all nations, peoples, and peoples. Carried by faithful messengers, that's all of us, doesn't have to just be ordained, as I said. It can just be you loving people and having compassion and mercy on people. As we talked prior, we don't know who those people are. We can't judge if someone looks like the worst of all sinners. They got a mouth like the worst of all truckers. We don't know what God's going to do in their life. So we distribute that which God has given us to distribute. We pass out the loaves and the fish, and we see what God's going to do with it. It's no power of us to have anything life-saving. There isn't anything you're going to save. There isn't anything you can say that's going to convince anyone. It's the power and the Spirit of God that does the convincing 
And he happens to use us as vessels to carry out that which he's already blessed. The small problems in our lives after being blessed by Christ are no longer small. His blessing is sufficient. So we remember in chapter 5, verse 1, we're going back a whole chapter now. This was the multitude that was at the feast. There was about 150,000 people in Jerusalem at the time when Jesus healed the man at the pool. It's a lot of people. They're there for the feast of Passover. It's not normally that many people, but they were there. It's shoulder-to-shoulder room. When Christ did a thing, people saw it. Not everybody. Some people were out of eye shot, but word of mouth got around. There was a man that was that was crippled and he didn't go in the water and Jesus just touched him and all of a sudden he's healed. That would go around like wildfire if that happened in our communities today. Actually, many of you would just want to stone him because he's a heretic because you wouldn't accept the fact that he's from God either, nor would I. It would need some convincing and convincing could be simply the word of God being shed through him. I often think about what it must have been like for these people who have lived in a religious culture for so long to have a common man, a carpenter, the son of a carpenter, a passed away carpenter. So now he's but a bastard. He has no dad. And he says he's God? Imagine how they must have tried to reconcile this. But it's the power of God that reached through him and ministered to the people and light bulbs were going on every time he talked to people. So, I'm not saying Christ is going to come back to Harrisburg and, and show up and start doing miracles. But be very careful what you say is of God and what you say is not of God. Because it doesn't fit a mold. So many of the people started following Jesus. And with this, we're here, we've got 150,000 in Jerusalem. We're here in Jerusalem. Jesus is hanging out for about a year before this happens, and he's on the Sea of Galilee, and then he ends up going up to the mountain where he did this feeding of the 5,000. It's called Mount Arbel. At this point here, it's not all the 150, but a lot of people are following him. For a year, he has had droves of people following him wherever he goes through the countryside. This man has making a name for himself. Picture it if you can. Just watching gaggles of people follow one man everywhere he went for a year walking around this countryside. Jesus is up on the mountain of Arbel. He looks down and he sees all of these people. He perceives that they're hungry. At this point, nobody complained. It wasn't like our children whining 13 minutes after they just had lunch that they're starving. These people didn't complain to him. His disciples didn't say, hey, maybe we should think about getting some Little Caesar's pizza for these people. they got to be hungry. Jesus perceived that these people are hungry. And then he tested Philip. He already knew what he was going to do. He tested Philip by saying, hey, what what are we going to feed these people? He wanted his disciples to see the power of God. If he wanted to just do it and didn't teach a lesson, but Christ is always about teaching lessons. If he wanted to just do it, he could have just said, okay, pick up that that basket right there. And there could have been crackers, there could have been fish, there could have been anything in it. If he just needed to just feed people. 
But everything he's ever done is for the purpose of teaching, not only for them, but for us 2,000 years later. We get the understanding of what's going on 2,000 years later. So he tricks Philip by asking, that's a trick question, he didn't trick him, but it's a trick question. He knew exactly what he was about to do, and he wanted his disciples to be amazed. He wanted them to understand that it was impossible for them to get this done. When he asked the question, he had the report back. Well, I mean, all we got is, we got nothing. We got 200 denarii. What's that going to get? Oh, I don't know. Hey, guys, let's put our heads together. Let's figure this out. What can we do? Hey, anybody want to pitch in? What do we got? Oh, 200 denarii. Oh, that's not enough to do anything. Well, hey, there's this little boy over here. He's got five loaves and, and two bread. <laughs> like, we're going to do anything with that. You know, I, it could be something entirely different. I sense a little bit of sarcasm here. How can you be asked by Jesus, what are we going to feed, and then lift up five loaves of five crackers and, and two fish and go, yeah, let's do this. Like, maybe it's just because I speak fluent sarcasm that I just, I hear sarcasm in, in people's conversation. But to me, I just, I can't see it happening really any other way. What would be the purpose? Unless, unless it was Andrew going, I know he can, I know what he can do with this. Here's the, here's the basket. I got five loaves and two bread. I know, I, fish, I know he's going to bless. I know he's going to turn this into something. It could be that. I personally don't think so. You can think that way. It's okay. We can have different opinions because the Bible doesn't tell us either way on this. But it sounds to me like they were at a loss of what to do. But Jesus knew exactly what it was going to do. He wanted his disciples to witness the amazing power of the impossible happen through them, through Christ blessing them, and they got to participate in passing this out. He also knew after they were full, that this was a dangerous thing. Now, these people have been witnessing Jesus heal the sick for close to a year. On a conservative end, the feast that they could have been gathering in chapter 5, they could have gathered for the feast of Passover, or they could have been gathering for the feast of booths. Either way, it's either anywhere from six months to a year. So conservatively, let's just say six months. People have been watching him heal the sick and following him around for a half a year, watching him do miracles, knowing that he can do the miraculous. And then when he does this, he perceived that from this miracle, this is so great of a miracle, from this miracle, they're going to want me to be their king. And it says in verse 16, that they were going, he perceived that they were going to take him by force and make him their king. If ever there was a time for a man who the world says he was power hungry, if ever there was a time, now would be the time for him to seize the day. The people were ready to make him king. If he thought he could ever affect the political sphere in a better way, by having a better position and a better status in life, now is the time. These people were ready to make him king. As the Old Testament, the people of Israel were so ready to make David their king by the time he was king. They were tired of Saul. They wanted King David. They talked about him as king while Saul the king was still alive. 
They sang songs about Saul killing their, his thousands and David killing his ten thousands. They were ready to have a king. These people were ready to have Jesus as their king. In all of that opportunity, Jesus knew exactly what they were going to do. So he withdrew himself and went into the mountain alone. This is strange for mankind. Men want prestige. When someone offers them a position of prestige and power and authority, men get power hungry. We've seen it in our own lives. Power hunger is a real thing. We all say, I wouldn't do that. That's because you don't have real power given to you yet. If anybody ever actually gives you political power to wave a pen and to have laws passed, it is near impossible to not get power hunger for mankind because mankind is perverted and twisted and we just mess things up all the time. Proverbs said, a child left to his own will bring his mother shame. So won't a grown adult. A grown man will bring his father shame if he is left to his own. This was the time that Jesus could have said, I'll establish my ministry within the powers to be, and then I can really affect change this way. And he just humbly left. He disappeared. Not, not literally for any little guys listening. It's not a magic trick. He just went away by himself to be with his father. Here's a poem that helps solidify the point that I'm trying to make to you. It's by Ella Wheeler Wilcox. It says the two kinds of people. There are two kinds of people on this earth today. Just two kinds of people, no more, I say. Not the sinner and the saint, for it is well understood that the good are half bad and the bad are half good. Not the rich and the poor, for the rate of man's wealth, you must first know the status of his conscience and his health. Not the humble and the proud, for in life's little span, who puts on veil, airs it not as counted as man. Not the happy or the sad, for the swift flies the years, bringing each man his laughter and each man his tears. No, the two kinds of people on earth I mean are the people who lift and the people who lean. Whether you go, wherever you go, you will find the earth's masses are always divided into two classes. And oddly enough, you will find two I ween there only one lifter to 22 who lean. In which class are you? Are you easing the load or overtaxing the lifter? Who toils down the road? Or are you a leaner who lets others share your portion of labor and worry and care? So the application of all of this, be moved with compassion on the weaker ones in your life. Do good to them, not for the praises of others. Recognize when your children are struggling with their attitudes. You may have misjudged your children's crankiness. They're just being rude, you might think. They're in need of an attitude adjustment with a paddle. Only to find out, because you didn't wake up at night, that child had two bloody noses and didn't sleep all night. Or maybe you've misjudged a brother or sister. 
because they don't seem as spiritual as you or another. Only to find out that they're going through the most trying thing of their life in that very moment. Be humble. Be mobilized with compassion. Be full of mercy. And the Lord and others will deal the same way with you. If you live this way today, you will find too that with the mercy of God, you can supply the 20,000 needs above the sea as well. Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning. Thank you, Lord, for just one facet of a large set of scripture. Lord, I know, we know, there are many things in here that we can chew on, many different ideas that can uh, go in different directions, Lord. Lord, I saw this while studying this to talk about mercy and compassion Jesus had on those that were there. He perceived that they were hungry. He didn't want to just show off a miracle. He taught his disciples this. But he wasn't just showing off to everybody else that he could do this miraculous thing by calling into into existence that which was not previously there. Lord, he wanted to feed them. They had been following him. They were hungry. There wasn't enough to supply for their needs. We've seen so many times in the scriptures that when people followed Christ, they dropped everything. They left everything. They left occupation. They left home. They left family. All to follow Christ. Many of them didn't have very much with them that day. And with the compassion that our Lord had to feed them, it is a want. They were wanting food, I'm sure. Maybe it could be looked at as a need as well. But Lord, you provided for them either way because you had compassion on the multitudes. Lord, may we move and be mobilized with compassion in our own lives. Let us be slow slow to judge, slow to speak. God, I pray that we hear out the whole matter before making any decisions on how to move. Lord, I pray that you would place compassion in our heart. If we are not a compassionate people, any one of us who is not a compassionate person, Lord, I pray you would place that in our hearts today. May we seek after it. Compassion and mercy, Lord, changes the tides of of the other side. I'm reminded of the time when abortion picketers, I'm sorry, where picketers were outside of Chick-fil-A because Chick-fil-A chose to do a Christian thing and the pagan side came against them and their response was to bring them food and bring them water for those that were picketing on the hot days. What a great display of mercy and compassion. Lord, not only in their footsteps do we want to follow, Lord, but we want to follow in the footsteps of our Lord and Savior. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.